Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we begin our Thanksgiving series in the book of Philippians. So please turn to that book, Philippians chapter 1. And the title of the series is Gratitude Unleashed Rocket Fuel for Your Soul. Gratitude Unleashed Rocket Fuel for Your Soul. Are you a grateful person? Do you wake up every day of your life searching for even the smallest thing to be thankful for? It's a battle, isn't it? The battle lines are drawn very, very succinctly, at least in my life. I have a choice each morning. It's either gratitude or grumbling. Rarely is there any place in between, at least for me. But it's a battle worth fighting. It's a battle worth fighting because hearts that have been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm speaking of Christians, are hearts that are flavored with gratitude, hearts that exude gratitude. The aroma, the sweet aroma from a heart that has been conquered by Jesus Christ is one of gratitude. But every once in a while, from those hearts that have been conquered by Christ, another odor is emitted. And that is the odor of grumbling, not as sweet. So use your imagination. It's a fight. It's a fight. I I would actually think that grumbling and gratitude may be maybe the fight. Because grumbling in the Bible is associated with unbelief. If you study the children of Israel when they left the promised land, when they grumbled... God in his word teaches us, particularly in Hebrews 4, that they were actually not trusting God. It was unbelief. And that's, that's fatal. That's fatal. So for a Christian, we're, our hearts are captivated by gratitude toward God. Why? Why are our hearts captivated by gratitude toward God? I don't have a slide of this, but just listen to what it says in Psalm 103, verses 1 and 4. 1 to 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who leads, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with every good so that your youth may be renewed as the eagles. As Christians, this is true. This is why every morning, irregardless of the circumstances, we can be grateful rather than grumble. And that gratitude produces something in us. It produces something in us, the gratitude that God has given us new life by his sovereign grace that fuels, it's like rocket fuel for our souls. Let me just pause for a second. If you're here as a non-believer, first of all, thank you for coming. You're our honored guest. I would love to speak with you. But this gratitude is born of God when a heart has been conquered by Christ and repented and believed in Jesus. 
But this, this gratitude, this rocket fuel for your soul, it produces three things that we're going to take a look at in these next uh, three weeks. The first thing that it produces, this, this gratitude fuels our soul to pray, this gratitude fuels our, our soul to serve, and this gratitude fuels our soul to live in Christ's joy. We're going we're gonna to look at these three things from the book of Philippians, but today's message is entitled, Gratitude-Fueled Prayer. Gratitude-fueled prayer. And our text is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So let's read that together. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Fueled by gratitude, the Apostle Paul prays for the Philippians. I noticed that many people who are serious about working out and taking care of their bodies consume a pre-workout and recovery drink. These drinks are made from uh, what are called branch chain amino acids. You see a picture of one product there that contains branch chain amino acids, or BCAAs. And these help with muscle performance, muscle development, with endurance, with recovery. Some of the BCAAs contained in these drinks displayed are leucine, which helps with muscle protein synthesis. Isoleucine, which helps with muscle tissue development, recovery, and lean body mass. Some of us need more of that than others. Valine, which helps with energy to the muscles. Beta. Alanine, which helps buffer the lactic acid. That's the stuff that makes you cramp up when you work out. Alanine, which helps with endurance and recovery. Taurine, which helps with cell hydration, metabolism, and mental focus. I need a lot of that, especially in combination with caffeine. Gratitude is a BCAA for the soul. It is a branch chain amino acid from God that helps support the development of the faith muscle. It plays a key role in endurance and recovery, especially when the workout is hard. It supplies energy to the prayer muscles. As a matter of fact, I believe the summary of this text is the following. Gratitude fuels your prayers. Gratitude fuels your prayers on many levels. Think about it. If gratitude is equated with faith... Then, and if grumbling is equated with unbelief, then gratitude is actually a product of faith that God has given us by grace in Christ alone. 
But that very thing fuels it and we're gra- we have gratitude and this then fuels my prayers. Oftentimes I don't pray because I don't really believe there is a God who will hear or answer my prayer. Faith is described in Hebrews as the assurance of things hoped for. And it says that no one will come to God unless one believes God is and is a rewarder of those who uh, diligently seek him. Now, we have that assurance, Christian, because God has sovereignly given it to us. He woke us up to that. But as we cultivate that, as that gratitude for what God has done for us, it fuels our prayers. Because we have faith, even if we're weeping and crying and hurt, even if we're mad at God. Yes, you can be mad at God. You're human. He knows you're mad anyways. But I can be mad at God with faith. Read the Psalms. Psalmist is often expressing, God, where are you? The psalmist, one, one psalm even says, God, wake up. <laughs> you know, you say that to your kids, but to God? Yes, because you're feeling that. But then those psalms typically end with, oh, God, you are good. But see, faith isn't a lack of saying that kind of stuff. Faith is saying that to God, to his face, because you believe he's going to help you see your way through. And you know you're not seeing clearly, but you know God is good. Gratitude fuels our prayers, point one. Gratitude toward God. In point, in verse 3 here of our text, Paul thanks my God. It begins with thanksgiving to God for what God has done. And what does he thank God for? Well, look at verse 6. I thank God that he will complete the good work that he has begun in you. That good work that God says, I began in you, your conversion, I will complete in you the day that Christ returns and we receive glorified bodies and everything, all the glory that Christ promises us, we will receive. That whole span, he began it, he will complete it. That good work is the good work of the gospel, church. When Paul is thanking God because God will complete the good work in the Philippians, and by extension, the good work in us and the good work in him, he's thanking God for the new creation, what, what is called conversion, what is called regeneration. Paul is saying, I know God made me alive in Christ, and God will keep me alive in Christ, and you too, Philippians, and you too, church in Miami Lakes, Palm Vista. I know God who began it will complete it. So this gratitude is Godward. And it's a gratitude that says that God will complete it until the day of Christ. Look at verse 6 again with me. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That's the day of Christ's return. The Bible, the Old Testament calls it the day of the Lord, that final day of judgment. Church, are you confident that Christ will complete the good work that he's begun in us as a church? Because this is very much plural. You all. We tend to individualize so many texts. It is true individually. But he's talking plural. This is a cool verse. This is saying, I have gratitude to God for what he's done for me. And I have gratitude for God because what he's begun at Palm Vista, he will complete until the day of Christ. As a church. As a church. And so that gratitude leads him to then be grateful for the Philippians. Look at verses 4 and 5. He's now talking to the Philippians. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because you are, because of your partnership. See that word in verse 5? Because of your partnership. That's the Greek word koinonia. 
That may be like the only word anybody knows in Greek. You know, koinonia. That, that's that word that's used for the church, the fellowship of the believers, uh, the group of people that have experienced God's grace. Koinonia. As a matter of fact, if you skip down to verse 7, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, again speaking to the Philippians, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers. See that English word partakers there? It's the same Greek word. It's got a little prefix to it to make it partakers. But it's the same koinonia Greek word. Partakers, partnership in verse 4, 5, partakers in verse 7, with me of what? What's that next two words? Of grace. So it always starts with God. I am thankful to you that by grace, I didn't earn it. You gave me this gift of life. But now I'm thankful for all these people to whom you've given that gift of life. That's you, church. And together, we're in partnership We are partakers of this grace. We're in partnership together to do what? To advance the gospel. If you continue reading here in verse 12, it's about advancing the gospel. So what Paul is saying is this. My gratitude toward God begins with God, giving to God the praise due his name because he found me when I wasn't looking for him. He made me alive when I was dead. He gave me sight when I was blind. He gave me hearing when I was deaf. He gave me understanding when I was totally ignorant and in darkness. gave me light. But now I'm also grateful for all the people that he's joined together with me in whom he's done the exact same things. He's partakers of grace because together we are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly the context here. Look at verse, uh, again, verse 7. He talks about partakers with me of grace. And then look at uh, at the end of verse 7. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see that that at the end of verse 7? both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul wrote this letter in the first century when he was a prisoner in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He wrote it to a church in Philippi in modern-day Greece, and he's saying, thank you, I thank God for you, because you are partakers of me in this imprisonment. Imagine, Paul was a terrorist of his day, because he was seen as subversive to the Holy Roman Empire. It wasn't a Holy Roman Empire. It was just the Roman Empire. Later it became the Holy Roman Empire. But he was subversive to the Roman Empire. He was on trial for terrorism. He was going to be executed. Now it would be several years later, but he was going to be executed. So these people, these Christians knew that he was on trial for the gospel. They weren't ashamed of him. They said, yeah, put me on the list of Paul's known associates. You know what that means. You're not getting a good job. They couldn't, they couldn't fly on American Airlines. You understand where I'm going with this? They were ostracized in their communities, but they weren't ashamed. In fact, they were willing to partake and to be partners with Paul on this gospel mission because of the grace of God. They even sent money to Paul, which a guy named Epaphroditus brought to him. That's what he's talking about here. He's thanking God for their partnership because of this mutual grace that they had together. And look at how he speaks of them. This is one of the things that gratitude produces in our hearts. It produces affection. Look at verse 7 where he talks about, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. He's talking about believers living in another country. Look at verse 8. Both in my, excuse me, verse 9. For God is my witness, verse 9, how, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. 
at the end of this sermon, we're going to receive new members. And I can tell you, dear new members who are about to join Palm Vista, there's an affection in my heart for you because you've experienced the grace of God and you're joining together that we might be in defense of the gospel, that we might push forward the gospel in this community. I'm looking for the other new members. You're here somewhere. Wave at me if you're a new member so I can see. All right, there you are. Okay, and and I'm thanking God for you because of what God's done in your life, but because of what he's done in my life, and he's joining you in a partnership together with us. You're participating with us to suffer for the gospel. You ready for that? But to have the glory to come. Thank you. Paul is praying that with power. And this gratitude toward God and this gratitude for his fellow believers, point two, causes him to pray for them. To pray for them. Prayer for others. Prayer for others is the result of a heart that is grateful to God and grateful for his grace working in their lives and the lives of others corporately. And then suddenly there's a prayer for those others. It moves us to prayer. Gratitude fuels your prayer. If you want to pray more, practice being grateful more. By God's grace. Chug down a couple of BCAA drinks. And then afterwards, after you've been grateful... Chug down some more as recovery drinks. So what in the world did Paul pray? What do we pray? Well, if you look at verses 9 to 11, we see Paul's prayer. The first thing he prays for is for their love to abound with knowledge and discernment. Read with me there, verse 9. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, verse 9. And it is my prayer, here we go, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. What does this mean? This means that Paul is praying, may your love abound toward God with true knowledge of God. This is not less than theological, intellectual knowledge. But it's also a relational knowledge. It's that personal relationship with Christ. It's this depth of knowledge. It's, it's, I pray that your love for God would be deepened. And, he says, discernment. So, see that verse 9. Your love would abound. And abound with what? With more and more knowledge and all discernment. Discernment is now taking that love for God and knowing how to apply it to how you love others. Don't you see what Paul's doing? He is praying exactly what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. Look at Matthew 22 on the screen, verses 37 to 40. And he, Jesus, said to him, Jesus is speaking, answering someone's question. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Paul is praying that for the Philippians. We need to pray that for one another. Pray that for me. And as we deepen in our love for God, I love you, Lord. And as that love for God then thrusts me out into a love for my my neighbor and my friend, beginning with my closest neighbor, my family, moving out to the church, moving out to the community, moving out to my enemies, I do so in a way that allows me to approve what is excellent. Take a look at verse 10. He's still talking about this love that abounds with knowledge and discernment. Verse 10, so that... So it's pointing back to verse 9, so that you may approve what is excellent. All that simply means, church, all that simply means is this. 
when we grow in this love for God and others, we're able to discern what's really important in life. We're able to discern what is really important in life. I was talking with Marcos Gonzalez last week and asked him if I could share this illustration. He said, sure, Al. And, you know, he was just telling me that the last two weekends have been really difficult for him because, uh, A, he's working 16-hour days. He's an adjuster. He's working with a company, and they have him on hurricane duty. You can imagine. And uh, so it's a lot of work, but he gets a lot of extra pay, and particularly on the weekends, like a pretty good chunk of change that he needs, right? Who doesn't need a good chunk of change? And, um, but the last two weekends he didn't work. He told his company he had some days off. Uh, I'm not going to work. Which meant that he forfeited a good chunk of change. But what he did is two weekends ago, he took his wife to a conference in Orlando, Christian conference, where his soul was built up, where he was with other believers, where he prayed and heard sermons. And he, he was able to see, listen, yes, that money's important, but I'm able to discern in this situation right now today, just for two weekends, not for every weekend, this is more important. This is eternally important. Only the gospel gives us that ability to discern. And then this weekend, he decided to not work again and leave some change on the table, a lot of change on the table, to take his gangly son out to navigate uh, uh, rivers uh, up in central Florida and get dumped into the water with a bunch of other gangly fathers and sons in our youth retreat. See, see, Marcos understands what's eternally important. And he's praying this for the Philippians because don't you know, church, life is a series of little decisions. Your life, when you come to the end of it, listen, I'm at 61, I'm not at the end, Lord, please, I mean, if, if it is, okay, I embrace that, but like a little more, I'm finally kind of started, kind of figuring out things, not much, just a little. You hit the wall enough times, you finally realize, oh, that's where the door is. And, and so, and so, but your life, church, is a series of decisions, You, you, don't, you don't just get there. You made a bunch of little decisions to arrive there. Whether it's with your health, whether it's with your finances, whether it's with relationships. Life is all, it's all these little decisions. Do I invest here or here? Do I spend my time watching this or this? Should I do this or this? And God is saying, pray for one another. That, that the righteousness, Christianity is so practical. It's worked out in the little decisions. Do I let my spouse's comment provoke in me an anger that I know is wrong? Do I let that word out? Do I let that person in when it's bumper-to-bumper traffic because they blocked the right lane on the Palmetto? Yes, the beautiful Palmetto. Now, it, it may sound silly, but it's not silly, church. Righteousness begins in the very practical small areas of life. And when God works in your life that you happily let them in <laughs> for me that's i'm working on that one without grinding your teeth that's you're cultivating something called the fruit of the spirit life is a series of decisions and paul's saying may you grow and approve what is excellent and next he's saying may you be pure and blameless on the day of christ we see that in verse 10 so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of christ so he's saying i'm looking at that day this idea of being pure is an idea that you're transparent right 
So we're going to stumble at times. We're going we're to have times where we don't do what's right, but we're transparent. That's what it's talking about. I make the decision to pick up the phone and call the person and let them know what I just did. I make the decision in community group to go ahead and share. I make the decision when I'm meeting one-on-one with someone. I say, you know what? I need your help with something. It's a small decision. But I, that's, that's the purity because our ultimate purity is in Christ. And on that day, it will be confirmed. And blameless has the idea of not stumbling. You know, when I, when I read that, I was thinking of that passage in Jude, Jude, which is a book at the end of the New Testament. Now, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to help you stand in his presence, blameless and with great joy at his coming. My faith is that Christ will enable me to be blameless, to not stumble, to stand. That's my faith. But he also is working new things in me. So he's praying that for the Philippians. And finally... Or not finally, second to last. He's praying that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness today, right here, right where they live. This idea of the fruit of righteousness is really found in Galatians. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I believe, on the screen. He's praying, may this church be filled with the following. Philippians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, oh Lord, kindness on the palmetto. Goodness, faithfulness, whether I tithe or not. Gentleness in how I speak to people. Self-control with my appetites. Against such things there is no law. And in that Galatians passage, there's even a reference a little bit later about the law of Christ. You fulfill the law of Christ. How do you do that? Because I'm my brother's keeper. You see, they're just little decisions. Pausing in the hallway to really hear someone's heart instead of bombing by. And maybe following up with a phone call. And it becomes a habit. And suddenly you are caring for one another. We're living this out. And finally, why? We live lives for the glory and praise of God. He's saying, listen, church in Philippi, church in Miami Lakes, the final ultimate purpose of humanity, the purpose for your life is to display God's glory. As the Westminster's divine said, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God made us to display his glory. Sin marred that display. Christ came to restore that display so that we might reflect the glory of God. That's a purpose worth living for. That's a purpose worth getting up for. That's a purpose worth uniting yourself with other believers in a church and giving of your money and time and effort and forgiving one another and be patient with one another and going for it and suffering for the gospel and sharing the gospel. He's praying that. And to that end, I'd like, to see, I'd like us to take a moment to see the display of God's glory in four family units this morning. They're called new members. I'd like to transition into that.